today on Anchored in the Word. I wish you were cold or hot. I could, I, you could, I could use you if you were hot. I could reach you if you were cold, but you're right in the middle. You're lukewarm. Now see the thing right in the middle. Think of the middle for a minute, right there in the middle. And it may seem like a good place, right? Oh, right in the middle, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right in the middle. I'm embracing some of the world, and, and we're embracing some of God, right? It's got maybe a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. That's the lie of the enemy. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Jesus to satisfy a craving for religion, but not enough for eternal life. This is Anchored in the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Coastlands in Eatontown, New Jersey, with our pastor and teacher, Bill Beckelman. There is a mystery and excitement about the future. One of the joys of the Christian walk is when our priorities line up with God's will. He promises to provide for our needs. He gives us peace for this life. Join us today as Pastor Bill examines Jesus' view of the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3. At the close of Pastor Bill's message, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Anchored in the Word. Subscribe to the podcast or simply get in touch with us. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 with today's study. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if you've been with us before, you'd know that this is the seventh letter to the seventh church that Jesus wrote to at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Remember the book of Revelation? Three divisions, you could say. Division number one is chapter one, when we get a view of Jesus, the risen Christ. Beautiful picture of Jesus as John sees a a picture of him and he writes it down. And then chapters two and three, we get a, a view now of the church in those times, the seven churches that are chosen by Jesus to write letters to. Chapters 2 and 3, we're finishing that up today. And then when we get to, Lord willing, next week, 
chapter 4 through the end of 22 will be all about the things that are to come. The future. A lot of people get all excited about Revelation because it talks about the future, and you should be. That God doesn't keep us in the dark on these things. He wants us to know truth, to understand the way things are. There are a lot of things to be concerned about, to spend our time pursuing in this life. But the things of God, you know, he says that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added on to you. If you get your priorities in the right order, you'll have a right worldview and, and everything will just sort of fall into place. Oh, by the way, you won't have a perfect life. And this, you know, there aren't, you know, there's tribulation to be had for everyone. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, but you'll be right with God and you'll have a peace of God no matter what's happening in the world. Now we get to this last church, the seventh church. And remember, he, there were more than seven congregations at that time. There were probably thousands, and, but he chose seven, sort of like a circle, really. We get to the last one, this, this place called Laodicea. And as we look at them, it's sad. Even as last week we said, boy, Philadelphia, you want to be, if you want to model your church after a church, that would be the one. Philadelphia, Jesus had nothing bad to say about them, all good to say about them, city of brotherly love, and so read about the church in Philadelphia. Now, this week, we read about this Laodicean church, and this is the church that you don't want to be like. If the person, you don't want to be in this place that Jesus is now going to tell them that they need to repent, they need to turn from. He's going to chasten them. He's rebuking them out of his love because he... Where they are is a very dangerous place. And the sad thing was, they didn't even know it. They weren't even aware of it. They thought they were doing fine. If you would have asked them, how you doing? We're doing fine. We're doing fine. You know, that old, how you doing? Fine. That's, sort of like, that's the default answer, right? Fine. Well, they really believed their default, that things were fine. They were self-deceived. We can see in the title, actually, how Jesus addresses this church, different from the other six. There's a clue found in that to their malady, to the place that they, they were. And I'll, I'll tell you how he addresses the other. He says, in two one, he says, to the, church of the, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, verse 12, and to the angel in the, to the church in Pergamos, verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Chapter 2, verse 1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis. These are all places. And then verse 7 of chapter 3, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now we get to verse 14, this last church, and look how he addresses this. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. You see the difference? The church of the Laodiceans. It speaks to ownership. In other words, they possess, it's their church. And I know that we, we call this our church, right? Don't we use that terminology? And I'm not suggesting that's wicked. But I'm suggesting that the way that Jesus is addressing them and the things that he's now going to say to them and about them, they had come to a place where it very much was their church. Because we know that scriptures teach that the church belongs to Jesus, right? It belongs to no man. But that church belonged to them. We'll see from verse 20 that Jesus wasn't even in the church. He's on the outside knocking on the door wanting to come in. 
Oh, I'm sure they may mention his name every now and then, maybe in the services. Maybe they'll even refer to his word. They'll call it church. But really, they had church figured out in such a way that they, they were, it was really doing their own thing and their own strength. They'd been given much. They were wealthy, probably had a lot of church programs going. They were well-funded. Never a lack of, of money there in Laodicea going on. It was a very wealthy place. But Jesus wasn't a part of the church. There was no Holy Ghost power going on in the church. There was a lot of movement going on, a lot of movement, a lot of things, a lot of activities going on, a lot of money being thrown around, probably a, a lot of people, probably a big church. But the problem was the presence of Jesus was absent. It wasn't his doing. And he's going to talk to them and tell them this hard truth. And he's going to tell them not just what, what, what was missing, but how to then change things around. And isn't that the loving thing that he always does to us? He meets us right where we are, and he shows us and gives us the opportunity to change from the way we've been going. So he picks it up and says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, and then, as in every other letter, we now get a definition or an explanation of who Jesus is, or a description, I should say. These things says the amen. You think, the amen? I've never heard him called that before. Yeah, these things says the amen, the so be it, Jesus he's talking about. And, he, and now he's going to be called the faithful and the true witness. The faithful, and that word true is very important. The faithful and the true witness, this is what the scriptures say about Jesus, and this certainly is true in this church, there in Laodicea, even when they are faithless, he is faithful. Though they turn their back on him, he didn't turn his back on them. He says he is the faithful and the true witness. They had an understanding. They had a, what they thought was a witness. Notice they had a view of themselves. They had a view of their church, the Laodiceans. Jesus is going to talk about that. You say this, but I say that. The truth of the matter is, whatever you think about yourself, or about your church. The reality is it only really matters what Jesus, how he sees things. And what he says, you see that? That view. We want to have a true view. So if we have a true view of ourselves, it's to view ourselves in the view of what Jesus says, right? The way, the, you know, when we all have a, you know, uh, our worldview, our paradigm that we're looking through. And, and the good news about when you go through the Word of God, you get the right paradigm. You're, you're looking at things through what God says about things, not what the world says or the person next door says or what Oprah says about life, you know, or Dr. Phil or anybody else, what they say about life. But what does Jesus say? How is my life lining up to what Jesus says? That's all that really matters, right? You know, just for the record, it's okay to say amen in church. Right? We just see that Jesus is called the amen, so we don't want to... All right. Now, some people take that to a, to a wrong end. It becomes distracting, but I want you to know you, don't have to, you can say that in church. If somebody looks at you funny, don't worry about it. As long as Jesus doesn't look at you funny, that's all that matters, okay? He's the faithful and true witness. He's going he's to tell you what's true. And he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, let me tell you what's not being said there is that he was created. Jesus is not created. Now, he, had, he came to earth and became a human, right? He was born, but he already existed before that. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And that means, in the beginning, the Word already was. In the beginning, the Word, Jesus, 
already existed. So we know that about. He is the pre-existent one. He's one of the God, one of the persons of the Godhead. He's always existed. So it's spoken here. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He's speaking to the, the creation. And what's being said there is not that he was the first one created, but that he was number one at creation, meaning that he was in charge of creation. He was number one, the beginning. He was, he was it at creation. And then he says in verse 15 what he said to every other church when he wrote the letter, I know your works. So Jesus knows everything about us. He knows what, what your works are, the things that you do. Right, And so does some of the rest of us. Right, We see what you do, but we can't see your heart. We can't see on the inside. He knows that. Not only does he know your works, but he knows what motivates your works. And he is seeking to change you to make your works be motivated by the correct thing. And that's by him. Empowered by him. And, um, and so that's what was happening that was incorrect at the Church of Laodicea. They had an understanding, and you can get this in Christianity after a while. You, know, you, you start reading the Bible, you, you, know, you, get, you pick up on the language. That's one of the first things you learn as a Christian. You, you learn the Christianese, right? You learn the, the things that Christians talk about, you know, and all this stuff. And amen would be one of them. And that, but that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. But you learn, you know, praise the Lord, brother. And, you know, or, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Well, that's a good one. I can adopt, I'm going to adapt that one to my, my, you know, I'll take that one. But, you know, we learn the language and then the right things we should say and the things we shouldn't say, right, around church people and all that. And, and it can become just religion, just trying to, trying to do the right thing rather than being motivated by the, by the living God. This is where we find Laodicea. And it was very much their church, very much running in their strength. And they had a lot of strength. They had a lot of money. You know, money can buy, can buy some strength. You know what I mean by that? I mean, you can buy some things with money. You can buy people even with money. A lot of things, probably a lot of programs going on at that particular point in time. But Jesus knew everything they were doing. And this is what he said to them. He says that you are neither cold nor hot. That's his observation. You're not cold and you're not hot. You think that Jesus would say, you're not hot. You know, like, like that would be the only thing. Hot being zealous. On fire for the Lord. We all, you know, it's part of the Christianese, right? He's on fire for, the, she's on fire for the Lord, right? Well, that's what that word zealous means. It means fire, all right? Um, got a heart for the Lord. It's all Christianese, in case you didn't know that. But it's, you know, it's a good vernacular. It's better than what we used to talk, remember, back in those days, whatever. But he says, you're neither cold nor hot, and he says, I could wish that you were cold or hot. That's what he wants. One or the other. You say, Jesus wants you to be cold? Well, here's the thing about cold and hot. If you're hot, man, you don't need any correction. Philadelphia, they were hot. They were, they were on fire. They were, they were staying close to the flame. They were staying close you know, to, the, to, to God's flame. They were, they were on fire for the Lord, all right? They didn't need any attending. But the cold... You know, when you, when you get there, you realize your need. You know what I mean? You walk outside when it's freezing cold, and you realize, man, i gotta, I got to deal with this. we got to put a coat on. You, you see what I'm getting at? You have to do something about that. You, you know, you, you attend to that. But he says, I, I wish you were one or the other. You know, because he could reach the cold people. Those people are open, you know, to, to his warmth. 
or the people that are hot, they're, they're right there. They're right there at the flame. They're, they're doing fine. He goes, I wish you were one or the other. He says, verse 16, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Ooh, now that is an ugly picture in the Bible. Yeah, they talk about vomit in the Bible. That's one of the least desirable things that I ever do in my life. Seriously, I mean that. I do not look forward to that. Yes, right? So we all know that. I mean, just leading up to it, it's it's like you know what's coming, and oh, no, you know, it's like, oh. Why are we going here? It's in the Bible. It says right there. Apparently, it's this... This condition makes him sick. And it's vomited out of his mouth. Now, the thing about this Jesus, the picture of Jesus vomiting his church out of his mouth, you know, and and it's interesting because some would say, well, he's writing to the church and he's talking about, we're not talking about somebody that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't go to heaven or not. And I'm thinking to myself, look, you know, I would just say to you, what, I, don't, I can't really explain theologically totally what that means. All right? Whether, you know, you're just not in the kingdom. Uh, but, but the point is, I don't want that to happen to me. I do not want to be in a position where I make Jesus sick, I, where, I, where he vomits me out of his mouth. Right? I mean, I, that's clear enough. Right? We, we don't want to go there. We don't want to be there. Whatever that looks like, I can just tell you that it's not a good thing. If you do get to heaven by being vomited out of Christ's mouth, you don't want to be there in that line in heaven. I can guarantee you it's not a good line if there is such a thing. So let's not try and debate what exactly theologically that means. We just know that it's not a good thing. It's not a desirable thing. So we want to do everything we can to not be in that condition. So whatever that means, it's not a good place. And I want you to know something about this idea. It's think this when it comes to lukewarmness. You know, I, I like my liquids cold. I like cold stuff. You know, I like ice water, ice, you know, this and that things. And, and even an iced coffee now and then. Or I like my tea hot, right? But here's what I found. If I leave my water unattended or my tea or my, my hot tea or my cold tea unattended, it becomes lukewarm. There's nothing worse. Well, no, I shouldn't say it the way. I don't like finding a glass of water in my house that I forgot to drink. I'll go downstairs and I'll get some cold water out of the fridge and I'll take it up and I, I need to hydrate and I forget and I wake up the next day, oh, there's that water. It's probably got dust in it. I drink it anyway because I, we paid for that water. I'm going to drink that water, you know. Um, but I don't like it. I don't prefer that because it's lukewarm. It's not been attended to. And that's the way that is with us. We get away from the flame. Some people throw their Christianity in the, into autopilot. And there's theologies that teach you, oh, no, you really you don't understand. You know, everything about your Christianity is all God. Everything. You couldn't have come to him if it wasn't for him. And, and I'm going to tell you, I can't disagree with that, that God's drawing each one of us. But it's, it's irresistible grace, and that's where the line's drawn for me. No, I, yeah, he chose me, but i got to choose him too. I'm sorry. If you don't believe that, read Revelation 3.20. We'll get to that, Lord willing. you got to open the door. Now, we'll get to that in a moment, but the idea is he's warning us about something for a purpose. If everything was just automatic, why tell us anything? Why warn us? 
Why give us a warning if it's all automatic anyway? What's the point of the warning? Just so we can know what's coming? Or we can do something about it, right? We can choose to do something about it. And that's the reason he's telling them. I wish you were cold or hot. I could, I, you could, I could use you if you were hot. I could reach you if you were cold, but you're right in the middle. You're lukewarm. Now see the thing right in the middle. Think of the middle for a minute, right there in the middle. And it may seem like a good place, right? Oh, right in the middle, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right in the middle. I'm embracing some of the world, and, and we're embracing some of God, right? It's got maybe a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. That's the lie of the enemy. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Jesus to satisfy a craving for religion, but not enough for eternal life. Deep down, there is no one more miserable than the lukewarm Christian. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. It's nowhere you want to live. And it happens a little bit at a time. Just like that glass of water, or that cup of tea. It's not all... It, you know, yeah, the time seems like sometimes I'll pick up my tea. I haven't been drinking this for that long. It's like, it happens surprisingly. You get busy doing something, right? Next thing you know, lukewarm comes. But a way that lukewarm happens is when you try to bring in and embrace the ways of the world. I'll give you an example, one example. And, and there may be some of you here today that believe in evolution as is taught in the schools. Because it's not just taught, it's embraced, and anybody who doesn't believe that is a moron. You can be taught that in higher education and universities. And um, even though there's no evidence for it, even though the man who wrote the book that they keep referring to said if there's no, if there, if time goes by and there is, and there is no um, transitional form that's found between an ape, let's say an ape and a man, you know, where an ape turns into man, if they don't find something or any in-between when these species are changing into something else, if they are really doing this, we should find one that's in the middle of changing, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? There's, everything's changing into something else, so eventually you'd find one that's half this and half that. That makes perfect sense, right? Logic. He says, if they don't find those transitional forms, I got a problem with this. That's what Charles Darwin said. Well, guess what? We haven't found any. And the only ones that they use in the textbooks are lies. They've been, they've been refuted, but they still use them. The point is, there's no basis, scientific basis for that, other than to bully somebody else into believing it. Now, it's a lie. It's one of the lies, but people believe that. Now, some people say, well, you know what? There's theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. In other words, you can bring God and this teaching together in the middle, right? You bring it in the middle. It's a little bit of Genesis and a little bit of men's wisdom there. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Anchored in the Word with Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coast Lands. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you've missed part of this message and would like to catch up or you'd like to hear it again, this message is archived at our website at anchoredintheword.com. That's anchoredintheword.com. And if you'd like to continue studying with Pastor Bill as he teaches through the Bible at Calvary Chapel Coastlands, we have the entire library of his messages posted for listening and download. 
go to our website at www.anchoredintheword.com and connect with Calvary Chapel Coastlands for our online messages. We would love to hear from you, so if you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, please contact us. Our phone number is 732-544-2225. That's 732-544-2225. If you prefer to write, our address is 178 Main Street, Eatontown, New Jersey, 07724. Or email us at office at cccoastlands.org. If you're in the Eatontown, New Jersey area and would like to visit us, we would love to meet you. Calvary Chapel Coastlands is located at 178 Main Street in Eatontown, New Jersey. Anchored in the Word is the radio ministry of Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coastlands. We hope you will join us again as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. It's our prayer that you would be moored in sound doctrine and anchored in the Word. Anchored in your-